Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This week is an episode like no other. Um, I'm super excited. Uh, I'm bringing Adam Schultz back on the podcast. Uh, I interviewed Adam back uh, for number 208 of the podcast. Um, Then we were talking about his film called Alone Across the Arctic, about his expedition paddling 4,000 kilometers across northern Canada. Um, Adam is this incredible explorer, adventurer um, from Canada. He goes on expeditions, is sent on missions from Canadian Geographic to do all sorts of different things. Uh, We talk about it in this episode, but he's also written four books at this point. Um, I read his very first one is called The Lone Against the North which is kind of about one of his first big explorations in Canada, in the Canadian wilderness. Uh, I haven't read it yet, but I bought my dad. So I have a Randy Ward review of a history of Canada and 10 maps, uh, which is about the history of Canada. Uh, He said it was really fascinating, you know, things that he didn't know, you know, Um, my dad's like a historical guy. I feel like dads are always historical guys, you know, like they always just love history. I'm going to be that. I'm, t- I'm slowly evolving into that aspect of dadness, um, but my dad loves history, so I bought him that book. He loves Canada, so it's two two things. There was the Venn diagram there where it met, but uh, he really enjoyed that book. Um, Adam also wrote Beyond the Trees, which is about his journey across the Canadian Arctic. I haven't not read that one yet, um, and then recently he just released it. He wrote a book called The Whisper on the Night Wind, which is what today's episode's about. Um, and it is kind of this uh, mixture of mystery, horror, suspense, uh, historical, you know, ecological kind of study, uh, along with being about this expedition Adam went on after reading um a historical journal describing a creature that this town in Labrador, which is this really fascinating sounding place and having looked at pictures and, and read Adam's book at this point, like it's definitely a place I'm like, Ooh, that looks like an interesting place to go to and go explore. I think that would be a fascinating part of the world to check out. Um, but the book is about him going out there uh, kind of on a mission to solve this mystery of what these people saw in the woods. Um, so it's super cool. Uh, great book. I really enjoyed it. It's called The Whisper on the Night Wind. Uh, I wanted to have Adam come on the podcast, especially right now, as we enter kind of like Halloween, brisk fall, like that creepy time of year. Um, because it is, and he wrote the book to be kind of mysterious and to be kind of intriguing and have this atmosphere of kind of the unknown, the unknown creepiness. So I wanted to sit down, listen to Adam's story, share it with you guys, uh, because I really enjoyed the book. I'm having total adventure envy right now um, with all the books I'm reading and and you know, films I'm watching and things like that. Um, and I just think he's one of the coolest dudes out there. He's one of the most fascinating explorers, you know, sharing his stories and he's well-spoken. He's interesting, well-researched, all of that. He's an awesome guy. Um, so I really also just wanted to talk to him about expeditions. Um, what do we find on expedition or what does he find on expeditions that brings so much to his life? And what is, what is driving this passion to keep exploring? So, all of that being said, I am proud to welcome back for episode number 275 of the podcast, uh, explorer, author, speaker, just an awesome guy, Adam Schultz. I, the very first episode, I think we talked a lot about your journey paddling across Canada or across the Arctic, really, like northern Canada. Um, and I really, really uh, enjoyed talking with you on, about that. Um, and then I can't remember if I told you this or not, but 
my dad is like a big history buff, like loves adventures and history and all that stuff. Uh, so I bought him your, um, your maps of Canada book and he really, yeah, he loved it. He thought it was really cool. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. That that's a history Canada in 10 maps. That's one of my books. And, uh, it was written really for a Canadian audience. I don't think of many people outside of Canada reading our history books, but that one is definitely a little bit different because it's full of the most incredible survival stories like bear attacks and cannibalism in the wilderness and all sorts of swashbuckling adventures. So I'm glad to know he liked it. Yeah, man. Just the shenanigans you guys get up to up there. <laughs> yeah. Our, our early history is uh, a lot more epic and bloody than I think a lot of people outside of Canada realize. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I called dibs on it. I told him, I'm like, Hey, next time you're in town, I called dibs on that book because one, I realized over the last year, like how little I know about the United States history, even having gr grown up here and, you know, taking history in high school. And then I was like, dude, and I know barely anything about Canada's like, I'm sure it'll just completely like open my mind up. Yeah. I mean, history is so vast that uh, you could read thousands of books on the subject and barely begin to scratch the surface. But that book, A History Canada in 10 Maps, surveys a pretty broad period of history, all the way from the Vikings when they made their voyages to Canada, um, all the way up until the early 1800s when you have some of the Arctic explorers like Franklin having to eat his own boots to survive in the Arctic. So it covers almost 800 years of history or more even than that, I should say. Dude, and the common thread there is just like the harshness of the wilderness. Absolutely. That is like the starring character in Canada's history. <laughs> it's the land itself, the wilderness yeah. just being so vast here and in the winter, especially so harsh. It has always loomed large in, in Canada and in our history. So it, it's well, it's at the heart of all the books I write, not just that one. But yeah. the wilderness is the theme running through all of them. Yeah, man. Well, I wanted to ask you about that. Just obviously you love learning about history. You love di diving into these historical texts. And we'll talk about how that kind of connects to your, your most recent book, which I just finished, which is awesome. Um, but I wanted to know, just like, do you have a specific like age in history that you're, you really connect with or that you find most fascinating? Like, is there a specific time period that you're like, this is the one for me that I really enjoy learning about? Well, I like a lot of different chapters in world history, but as far as North America goes, I write and research the most on the early centuries after European settlements. So really from the Vikings through the 1800s is the time period that I do most of my research on because I like the history of explorers and fur traders and yeah. those kind of adventurers. So that's that's the period I gravitate to the most, but I find every, almost every chapter of history fascinating so it's not uncommon that i'll wind up looking at something else outside of that frame yeah do you get do you get kind of like just completely like engulfed into a certain time period for a while and then like bounce out of it and go to a different one or what how does that work for you that's uh, very much how it works I'll <laughs> sometimes go down a bit of a rabbit hole where i'll spend uh weeks just researching one area of history and that sometimes informs the expeditions i do because I do expeditions for the Royal Canadian Geographical Society. So yeah. they've sometimes had me do expeditions looking for a lost explorer who vanished. And I will, you know, turn over every clue I can find in an archive. So it'll sometimes feel like I've been lost in time or something because I'll spend a week just with my head in these old archival records trying to find any clue I can to the whereabouts of an expedition that vanished 100 yeah. or even 200 years ago. So yeah, that is very much how it works a lot of the time. Dude, that's so cool, man. I, I, there's just something to be said, like you're obviously like a modern day explorer and there's something to be said about heading out into the wilderness with this like greater mission in mind, like whatever that may be, that is just kind of like thrilling. It just makes it almost like a more, it's, a, it's an experience. A lot of people don't have, like, I feel like a lot of people aren't heading out into the, the wilderness looking for, you know, something or another, you know? Well, I spend as much time in the wild as I can, and I do yeah. all sorts of trips in the wilderness, ranging from just walking out my front door and out into the woods that surround my house um, to just pleasure trips. But my job title is Explorer in Residence at the Royal Canadian Geographical Society. So I've been doing expeditions for them 
for over 10 years. Mostly I do them alone, but they send me out on expeditions that cover the full range from making maps of waterfalls and things like that to doing um, expeditions to try to find lost explorers or archaeological sites like old fur trade post ruins to um, looking for some of the rarest and most elusive animals on the planet, endangered species to sometimes just a big long journey like when I was sent alone across the Arctic. Um, so yeah, I cover it pretty much everything, but really at the end of the day, I think like a lot of people, I just want to get out in the woods, in the mountains, in the wild, and <laughs> it doesn't really matter what my objective is. I'm just happy to be doing that. So I pretty much take any assignment that comes my way. If it yeah. means I can go out in the wilderness, cause that's what I really love. Yeah, man. Well, and <laughs> when you're in, uh, you know, like high school or growing up, you know how they do those things where it's like here's possible careers you may be interested in was explorer in residence even on that list <laughs> no i didn't even know there was such a thing as that in fact i don't think it did exist at that time but um i was just thinking whatever whatever kind of career gets me out in the the woods in the wild yeah. the most is what i want to be whether that's a park ranger or wildlife biologist i don't know i've been pretty lucky that i've just sort of carved out my own path in life doing my expeditions and really writing my books which is my main source of income is actually my book sales um, but doing expeditions for the different sponsors I have in Canada, like the Royal Canadian Geographical Society has essentially been a dream come true. I've been very lucky in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, I do. I want to hear, let's dive into your, uh, most recent book It's called the whisper of the night wind. Um, I read it honestly, man, like, cause we were messaging on Instagram and I was like, or you're like, you're a fast reader. I was like, well, I'm listening to it. I, I didn't want to admit that I was listening to the audiobook, but I read it in like two and a half days. Like I couldn't put it down. Is that the correct term for an audiobook? I don't know. I, I think so. You couldn't pause it, I guess. <laughs> I couldn't pause it. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I really enjoyed it. Um, and I kind of want to hear just from you, like, can you kind of give everybody just a brief uh, synopsis? It's about this really cool expedition that you take on uh heading up to like northeastern canada um but can you kind of give us a synopsis of it sure yeah so this is my brand new book it just came out this month uh the whisper on the night wind and it was about an expedition i did into canada's wilderness but it was quite different than any adventure i'd ever had before it started not out in the woods or the mountains but at home in my office, I'd been doing some research and I was looking at old fur trade accounts and I was reading the diary of a trapper named Merrick from Labrador a hundred years ago. And for the most part, the, the uh, journal was pretty ordinary stuff. You know, he talked about trapping beaver, hunting caribou, chopping firewood. Uh, but there was one entry in the diary, unlike anything I'd ever come across. And it immediately sent a chill down my spine and it made, made me sit up in my chair. And he described finding you know, strange tracks in the woods, unlike anything he'd ever seen or heard of that were like 12 inches long. And uh, no one, none of these seasoned trappers who spent their lifetime in the wilderness could identify them or make heads or tails of them. And that wasn't all. Um, there were strange calls in the night echoing out of the woods that no one had ever heard before. Um, sled dogs, because everyone there had dog sled teams, they would go, the dogs would go missing with no explanation in the middle of the night. And uh, most alarmingly of all, children reported seeing this strange animal or, or multiple animals that stood on their hind legs, almost seven feet tall, but sometimes dropped to all fours. And across the top of their head was like this white mane or white blaze. So it was all very creepy stuff. Yeah. Um, the trappers themselves thought it was something supernatural, like some sort of demon that was haunting the woods. And as I said, it, it sent a chill down my spine, but I was also, you know, I was always a skeptic when it came to these kind of campfire stories. So I was like, well, Who's to say it didn't make it all up, which led me to do more research in the archives, looking through early records of Labrador. And Labrador is a pretty remote and wild place. Um, but to my own astonishment, I found multiple eyewitness accounts from the same time period and from the same area describing very similar encounters and tracks and things. And my curiosity was just utterly hooked at this point. I was convinced that something really did emerge from the forest there to haunt this isolated community. And I decided right then and there to make up my mind to investigate it and try to unravel this mystery if I could and figure out you know, what it had been, if there was some sort of rational explanation uh, behind this extraordinary series of events. So that's the story that's at the heart of the book. Yeah, man. And the way you write it is 
like it's like a it's a mystery it's like a almost like it's almost like a like a horror but like a gothic horror kind of deal you know but it's based on your experience like going out on this expedition and the parts that i really i really enjoyed were the historical like you'd come up with maybe an idea of a possible explanation and then you jump into the history behind that idea and and either like you know prove the idea right or disprove it or whatever and like deepen the mystery along the way which i thought was really really cool yeah so for the book i really did want it to be a sort of uh sherlock holmes agatha christie (laughs) yeah mystery page turner that would keep the reader guessing until the end and throughout the book i i throw out all these different um possibilities or explanations you know could it have been a hoax could it have been a bear you know maybe it was a polar bear with mange and its hair fell off and i go through Mm -hmm. all these different possibilities without giving away any spoilers. Um, but I kind of wanted to keep people guessing and excited and engaged in the story and uh, make it a real sort of adventure mystery detective story. And I think in the end, I did unravel the mystery. So there is an explanation at the end of the book, but I can't say what it is because I don't want to no, ruin it. Yeah, no spoiler alerts. Man. <laughs> you guys got to read it. Um, well, and it's, it's interesting talking to you like, you already just mentioned going out and being an explorer and so basically solving mysteries. Like where, where was this uh, trapping camp? Where was, where did this explorer go missing? Can you find him? You know, and it's basically you're, you're doing your job uh, as an explorer, but also kind of, you know, trying to solve this mystery. Like, I just think it's interesting. Like you, you are solving mysteries in your regular career and then this just happened, you happened to read this and it piqued your interest and you're like, let's go, let's go try to figure this out, you know? Yeah. I mean, I do a whole variety of expeditions, as I mentioned, and many of them have some sort of mystery that needs to be solved. Like uh, Explorer, he vanished in the Arctic and then I'm sent there to try to find any artifacts, any clues, you know, any to his whereabouts, like old campsites or tin cans or a pocket knife, any evidence. And in the Arctic, things preserve really well. So there's... Yeah plenty of artifacts that you can find from a hundred years ago or even longer or other expeditions I do involve looking for some of the most endangered species in Canada, very rare ones, or trying to add the last details to the map. Because in Canada, there are places in the wilderness that even today have never been accurately mapped before. Um, Using satellite images, we can tell a lot of the features that are there, but the last little details like certain rapids or waterfalls, you can only really figure out by going there and going down river. So I do all that kind of thing. But this new adventure that I talk about in my book, The Whisper on the Night Wind, was unlike anything I'd encountered before in that it seemed to be taking me into the realm of um, cryptozoology and the yeah. supernatural and trying to figure out this wildlife mystery if I could. You know, what, what was this thing if it was anything at all? Maybe it was just a delusion because these people had spent so, so long alone in the wilderness where they like hallucinating things. Um, had You know, it started to go to their head and they started to imagine things. But... That's what I was trying to do in the book is try to figure out some sort of explanation for what happened there. Because I I actually did become convinced in the end that something really did emerge from the forest, uh, that they weren't imagining things, that there really was a real creature out there. But I again, I can't give away the end of the book because uh, people will see um, how it all makes sense by the end of the book. Yeah. Well, and it's also just, um, man, there's, there's the idea of how do I want to explain this? It's just going out there and exploring the unknown. I think else there's so many people right now who, who are kind of like, I mean, surely we know everything. Like you just mentioned that uh, in Canada, there are places that are still unmapped and you're like, how is that possible? Surely we know everything there is to possibly know. Um, And I just appreciate that there are people out there that are like, you know, realistically, we don't know everything there is to know. And I'm going to go kind of in search of some of those, those mysteries, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I say that all the time, that the world is a far more mysterious place than many of us realize. I mean, even today in the 21st century, uh, there are new animal species that are being discovered almost every week in the Amazon rainforest, or even sometimes in Central Africa, and not just small things like different species of insects or birds or fish, but even new primates, which you wouldn't think is possible, but nevertheless, as astonishing as it sounds, it is, are still being discovered 
um, in some of the most remote corners of the world. So that in itself is a beautiful illustration of how the age of exploration really isn't over. And even now in the 21st century, we're still learning things we didn't know um, about our world. So all of these things were at the back of my mind as I was going through the wilderness there in the mountains, trying to make sense of these old accounts describing this mysterious unknown animal that had stalked the wilderness there. Yeah. Well, and I think like, uh, it's almost like a complacent way of thinking to just assume like you, people are like, you're just kind of assuming like, well, surely we know everything. Like it's almost, it's almost irresponsible to have that kind of thought process. Yeah, I think so. And I think there's always been people who've thought like that for yeah. thousands of years. And that's ironic, of course, because if that were true, then we would never have progressed and we would be in the same place people were all those centuries ago. And I'm sure 500 years from now, 1,000 years from now and more, they'll look back and think, wow, they were so primitive in 2021. They had so little idea of our world and our universe. So, yeah. you know, throughout the book, I try to, in my, in all my journeys for that matter, I try to balance on the one hand, you know, being skeptical and taking things with a grain of salt, but also on the other hand, staying open-minded and entertaining any possibility, you know, just kind of going wherever the evidence or the clues lead and not ruling anything out prematurely and keeping all options on the table until I can say, Oh, it's definitely not that. So I'll cast that aside and just trying to go through a process of elimination, but through while doing it, always keeping an open mind as much as I can. Yeah, no, that's so huge. Oh, and I was trying to, I was trying to quickly Google cause I'm a science teacher. So I should know this quote off the top of my head, but I don't. And I couldn't find it on Google either, but there was some guy, this is like a terrible way of explaining this story to like a really well-versed historian person like you, but I'm going <laughs> to, but there was some famous quote from a scientist, like early 1900s, where basically they're like, everything there, uh, everything that can be discovered has been discovered. And then egg on that guy's face, he just looks like a historical jackass right now, basically. Yeah, I mean, scientific theories and what we thought we, we know for sure is constantly being revised. Um, it's amazing. I mean, knowledge is expanding by leaps and bounds, and it will continue to do, for, do so for as long as there's humans, uh, because we're going to learn things that we can't even anticipate. So yeah, yeah any, any statement like that, I think, is inclined to age very poorly, <laughs> because it'll rapidly seem out of date. <laughs> Yeah, totally, man. Can you kind of explain Labrador as an area? I was, as I was listening to the book, I would Google images um, of that area of the world because I've never, I never have been up there and you don't hear a lot about kind of Northeastern Canada. Yeah. I mean, that's partly why I was so fascinated by this area of the world because, you know, Labrador is unbelievably wild and remote even today. Um, there are areas that have never seen a human footprint there. It covers, I'm Canadian, so we think in kilometers, but it covers almost 300,000 square kilometers, which is roughly 200,000 square miles. So it's larger than Colorado, but yeah. the population is almost, uh, is so minuscule. The population density there is about 30,000 people. Uh, so that works out to about 0.092 people per square kilometer. It's almost nothing. Um, so it's one of the only places in the world where you can still wander for literally months and never see a road or a town or even a human being. Like you won't find anything. That's how remote this place is. And the land itself has everything from windswept mountains and glaciers and fjords um, to ancient primeval forest of black spruce and tamarack and balsam fir. Um, so it's a pretty rugged uh, wilderness, this, this location. And, uh, it's home to packs of wolves and polar bears and black bears and herds of caribou. So it really does seem kind of like the land time forgot this wild untamed place, um, where adventure still rules. And you can have these kind of expeditions where you set off into the wild with a backpack and a, and a canoe and not a whole lot else. And you're not going to see any trails any yeah. campsites or anything like that. So it is exactly the sort of setting um, for a certain a mystery animal to live um, because it is, it is just so wild and remote, like far more wild and remote than what you have on Western North America, ironically, right? Where yeah. we have all these legends. But on the other hand, you have many thousands of people in the backcountry hiking around 
Um, not so in Labrador, just because it is so northern, so remote. Um, and for most of the year, the climate is very, very harsh there. It gets down to minus 40, minus 50, um, just as a regular Canadian winter in Labrador. That's like pretty ordinary stuff. <laughs> and it has always been that way. It's always just been a very remote re uh, location, um, yeah. right at the end of the continent, so to speak, you know, right where from the coast of Labrador, it's a, it's a relatively short sail to Greenland uh, and up into the Arctic Islands. So it, and for as long as it's been there, it has bred legends, legends of strange things going back to um, the earliest indigenous people. And uh, there is all sorts of unexplained mysteries concerning them. In fact, the earliest inhabitants of Labrador, we call them the Dorset, even though we don't know what they call themselves, they disappeared around a thousand years ago, and nobody is quite sure what happened to them. Um, and ever since, it's been this land of mystery. It's Dude, the same place. <laughs> it's the same place that the yeah. Vikings sailed to. And even them, they said that there are strange things in this, this land. It's not like any other land we've seen. <laughs> That's wild, man. Dude, the door set, that has to be your next mystery, you know, <laughs> throwing it out there. Yeah, I, I mentioned them in all my books, and it is definitely <laughs> a fascinating topic that I would love to do more research into. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it would need a book in itself to tell the full story. Well, and it's funny, like looking at pictures of Labrador, you see mountains and stuff like that. But I, I think what you can't capture is just how far away from any sort of like civilization that those mountains are. Um, it's not like, like you mentioned, there's no trails there. It's as rugged as a wilderness like that probably can get. Yeah, absolutely. Was, um, was that something like, was that an area that was kind of like, I don't like farthest off the map that you've been or have, yeah, I mean, obviously you're up way up in the Arctic as well. Like, is that comparable? Yeah. I mean, it is very remote and there's certainly places where you can be far from anywhere in Labrador, but on the other hand, I've done yeah. so many <laughs> expeditions to the most isolated places in Canada that I'm not sure that it's, that it would be number one because yeah, way up in the high Arctic on those Arctic islands is probably yeah. the most isolated I've been on any of my journeys where you're literally many, many hundreds of miles from the next nearest human. Um, but Labrador has something very special about it, which is that it's an ancient, ancient landscape. Um, the mountains there were already hundreds of millions of years old when the Rockies were just being formed. Um, so they're actually some of the oldest mountains in the world on Earth. They date back almost a billion years um, to when the earth was just like basically a lifeless wasteland. And that atmosphere was something I tried to convey in my book uh, about it in the, in the Whisper on the Night Wind, that you're in this sort of land where it just feels inconceivably ancient, um, where the rocks date back hundreds of millions of years, and the, the forests are ancient, and everything about it seems like this land of legend, of mystery, where anything may be possible. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's you're just making me want to go up there now. <laughs> <laughs> that's the intention. Yeah, my book should come. My book should come with a disclaimer, a warning at the front, which says if you read this book, warning, you're going to want to run off into the wilderness. <laughs> dude, I'm going to be honest, man. And I was telling a friend this, like after reading your book, I've been reading another book uh, by an adventurer too. like I'm just totally getting adventure envy right now. You know, like, and I just, I'm a teacher. So we started the school year. So you can't really like sneak away to the mountains, you know, but man, ah, especially doing something like that. Like you mentioned walking places where no one has probably walked before, or if they have, it could have been hundreds of years ago. Can you kind of describe what that feels like? Like, what does it feel like to just be walking out in the middle of the wilderness and just having the realization of like, I might be the first human being to ever put foot footsteps here. Yeah. Well, that's especially the case when you get uh, up into some of the mountains, uh, those really inaccessible mountains in Labrador. So now you're far off the beaten track because you've left any sort of conceivable canoe route or travel route behind. And you're getting up into very difficult areas where you have to do some bouldering and climbing along cliff faces and into caves and to me, the whole atmosphere was sort of um, mysterious, like you're in this land of uh, just unbelievably ancient. That's the feeling I constantly had, but also this place that the modern world simply forgot, um, where there's just no, you're not going to come across like a pop can 
or cigarette yeah. butt out there. It's just a world of, uh, of moss. Uh, actually, that's the weird thing about the subarctic where that is in Labrador is it's, it's covered in moss in the summer, like just sphagnum moss, which is this really vivid green moss. It cloaks the rocks and it, it hangs off the, the trees almost like cobwebs. And it adds this whole atmosphere that you're in a sort of uh, waking dream where you have to constantly look over your shoulder and sort of check yourself because it's like, did, did I hear something or is that just the wind playing tricks on me as the yeah. wind howls down the side of the mountain or through these caves? Yeah, uh, And it is a very sort of almost spooky or eerie atmosphere at times to be in a place that ancient and that remote. But it's one that ultimately I kind of love and I find irresistible. So I keep doing these expeditions um, yeah. to these remote places. Dude, that's so cool. And I love that um, a lot of your expedition expeditions, obviously working for Canada Geographic, but they're up in Canada. They're in your home country, you know, and you've really become like a proponent of like, going out and exploring, exploring this land up there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Canada is so vast, so many, many millions of square miles that even if I lived 10 lifetimes, I would barely scratch the surface. Um, you know, I could just never cover it all. And I always think about that all the time. I make lists of the expeditions I would like to do. And I think, yeah, like I'll never even get close. It's just a drop in the bucket. Even if I spend the rest of my life canoeing rivers and exploring mountains and things yeah canada is so vast there would still be more that i could never hope hope to lay eyes on let alone explore in person um, but that's one of the cool things about our world because that's just canada and then i think of all the other places yeah that i'd like to see one day like the amazon rainforest or antarctica or sahara the australian outback and i know i'm almost certainly never get to any of those places because i'm probably going to devote all my time to canada um, but that's why I like that there are other people out there exploring those corners of the world and I can, you know, live vicariously through their experiences, reading their books or watching their, their films or whatever it is. I really like that. So because, you know, I'm Canadian and I grew up here and this is my backyard, that's sort of what I do. I devote myself to this area yeah. and I sort of uh, rely on other people in other corners of the world to tell me about their backyard so I can learn a little bit vicariously because the world is still very very vast place. I mean, sometimes we think um, technology has, sh has shrank distances, which it has. I mean, you're in, I think, Colorado, right? Yep. I'm having this conversation from Canada with you. Um, but at the same time, as soon as we, you know, close our laptops and we turn off our phones and we set out our front doors, if you're on foot, the world is as big as it ever was. And yeah. the possibilities are really endless. As soon as you leave technology and civilization behind and you go out into the mountains or the woods, uh, then you're experiencing like the same things our ancestors did thousands of years ago. And, you know, the world seems alive with possibilities and adventure is everywhere. So I really like that thrill that you get from doing those kind of uh, old fashioned journeys. Dude, I, first of all, I have a question and I was going to get to it towards the end, but I'm going to ask it now just about expeditions in general. Um, I think what you just mentioned with like talking about people doing expeditions in all parts of the world, I think the thing that's special about the really good explorers and adventurers um, is that they have this personal experience by themselves a lot of the time. And then they have to add that experience kind of fades out. And now it becomes like the storytelling aspect. Like now I have to figure out how to, how do I, get people to walk a little bit in my shoes um, just through like my stories, you know? And I think you do a really good job at that. I don't, it's not really even a question, but I just wanted to mention that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is one of the challenges I think in writing books is um, putting the reader or the listener, if it's an audio book in, in your shoes or in your boots yeah. out in the wild and making them feel every black fly bite and every mosquito <laughs> bite. And you're thirst because you're dehydrated because you haven't found any fresh water to drink because you're trapped on the coast of Labrador and it's all salt water. Or the feeling when you're in the middle of your middle of the night inside your little sleeping bag and it's cold and you can see your breath and you hear something like a bear on the other yeah. side of the tent just scratching or pawing away. But I try my best um, to make my books come alive for the yeah. reader and get them excited and feel the same sort of um, sweaty palm moments that I experience out there and get them ultimately to have a little bit of fun with the books. Cause I think that there's no point in writing the book if it isn't going to be fun to the person reading it. And I hope at the end of the day, that's what my books do for people when they read them.
Yeah, they get excited. They have some fun. And above all, they're going to want to go out and have an adventure by the end of this book. That's exactly how I felt. I'm going to be honest. I like you're inspiring people to go out and uh, have some daring do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> I wrote in my notes, I was like, you need to use the word daring do. And I was like, I yeah. don't know how I'm going to fit daring do in here. But I love that term because when I hear that term, it reminds me of like the classic adventurers that you you know you hear about going out and exploring kind of the unknowns um yeah that's a very old-fashioned uh descriptive term it makes you think of lewis and clark or Shackleton yes. or yeah. the explorers of yesterday yeah man well i with when it comes to just an expedition in general um you have these huge dramatic moments of the expedition, you know, like maybe something went wrong, you had a misadventure. And these are always the moments I end up talking about on the podcast with people. But I think like the mundane, tiny moments that you have during it are probably almost more meaningful to you. Um, Can you give some like, some perspective to that kind of idea? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's funny, the things that are um, stay lodged in our mind and that we remember most vividly long after the fact. And for me, you know, on all the adventures and journeys I've done in the wilderness, some of the, some of the memories that remain most firmly imprinted on my mind are simple things that you might not necessarily think of immediately, but just like my favorite campsites, like places I came across in the middle of nowhere, just wandering across the Arctic tundra or through some forest. And out in northern Canada, just finding a place to, to bed down for the night and sleep can be difficult. There are places where there's no dry, dry ground because it's all swamp or bog and it's all sort of wet, mossy soil. So I've been in areas where I've wandered through, you know, just foul swamps of mosquitoes for <laughs> miles upon miles. And I find like one little firm little patch of dry ground that's like, you know, six feet and it's just enough to lie down on for the night. And somehow it ends up feeling like a five-star hotel. And I'm like, (laughs) oh man, this is the greatest, greatest paradise in the world. I could never want to leave this place. Or just some other times, like when I'm in really rocky terrain out on the Arctic tundra or Northern Canada, I'll come across like this perfect slab of rock that will make like a perfect table. And I'll be like, oh, this is great. For the first time in like two months, I'm going to be able to actually eat like my oatmeal on a rock with like as a table (laughs) and I can spread out my gear and like put down my spoon and my my tea and all this stuff. So it's not, yeah. not going to lose it. Um, and just some other places that are like really beautiful, like just on some wild lake that's so remote, it doesn't even have a name and I'm camping on it. And uh, in Northern Canada, like the days are very long in the summer. If you get beyond a certain latitude, the sun never sets. So it's a pretty special feeling when you're just uh, all night long watching the sun move across the sky and it never actually dips below the horizon. So just some of those campsites where I've seen things like that, Um, are some of my most cherished memories from all the adventures I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like at times those, those moments don't get talked about as much. And I think when you're exploring people or inspiring people to go out and explore, that's kind of something it's like, no, like you're going to have all these, like you'll have an epic giant adventure, but you're also going to have all these little moments that are going to be like really, really meaningful to you and kind of like maybe even change the path of your, of your life or change the way you think about things. And I think to me, like that's when, when I think of adventure, I'm like, wow, like that's, that's the part that really like inspires me to go out, go out there and, and really go like, yeah, it's funny. It's funny. You should ask me that because almost no one ever asked me that question. (laughs) Like the questions I'm always getting asked are like, yeah. So what's the most dangerous <laughs> encounters you've ever had? Or what's your scariest moment? Or yeah. have you almost, how many near death experiences have you had? Or people always want to hear about like the dangerous heart stopping moments on my expeditions, but it's, it, you can kind of lose sight of the big picture, which is like, well, those are the exceptions, you know, most yeah. of the time I'm not in like some mortal danger because a bear is like coming at me or I'm uh, getting swept over some waterfall or crossing some, icebound lake trying not to fall through it uh most of the time it's more of those quiet moments i describe where you're just in some you know vast lonely place and i found the perfect little campsite for the night up beside some nameless stream or on the bank of some 
unnamed lake or you know on the slope yeah. of some mountain and it's just a beautiful little place where i found some wild berries oh i've got some cloudberries some lingonberries to eat and wow there's actually like some firewood here because in northern canada just finding firewood can be a challenge once, yeah especially when you get beyond the tree line so oh there's some driftwood i'll be able to have a nice fire and get warm and make a cup of tea it's all those moments that i really enjoy and after like a hard day traveling whether you've been hiking or paddling and it's it, you know, if it's a rainy, wet day, um, nothing feels better than at the end of that 12 or 13 hours pushing on through hard conditions that you finally can find a little sheltered nook to call home for the night and get warm and dry and get out of your wet socks and, you know, just make a little fire and the blazier fire makes it feel like you're at, you know, it's home-like. Um, yeah. I love that experience and that feeling more than anything. And, and it's one of the best parts of doing these adventures and journeys. Yeah. Yeah, man. And then also just on the other side of those, the, the mundane moments where you're just like, oh, oh, every step hurts. Like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And I think those moments where you decide to push through anyways, where you're like, well, I'm just going to keep going. I think doing that repeatedly over and over again actually is probably the biggest like takeaways you can have is like, hey, just keep going, like just keep going. And I don't know. I, I, but, but those moments are hard for people to talk about too, because it's hard to put, put people in the shoes of like, yeah, I was at a point where like literally every step hurt and I was questioning every decision I've ever made in my life. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of an expedition I just did in September where I was yeah. hiking through, through the mountains and uh, had to cross a lot of swollen glacial rivers and it was freezing cold. And my, my feet by the end of this journey were like bleeding because I just I walked so far through the mountains and across so many rivers and things. Um, but that's exactly the mindset I have, which is sort of slow and steady wins the race. It's like yeah. the, the tortoise and the hare, just keep going, put one foot in front of the other. And, uh, you know, you will get through it. And at the end of the day, when you make your campsite and you can take your boots off and get dry, um, it's, it's totally worth it. So, uh, no pain, no gain, as they say, you just, <laughs> you kind of have to take the good with the bad. And keep going, keep putting one foot through the, the other. And in my experience, no matter how difficult the situation is, um, you know, mentally, that's usually the most daunting part. If you can just wrap your head around it, um, you can usually get through it. So that's kind of how I try to try to approach these things and motivate myself to keep going. Yeah, because some of the things, even in the whisper on the night wind, like some of the moments you're like, this sounds rough. Like it just sounds like rough hiking, rough bushwhacking like <laughs> just you know and especially when you're way out there getting eaten up by the bugs and stuff i'm like dang how does he keep going yeah i was pretty motivated to get to the end of that because i wanted to unravel this mystery i mean i was yeah. still totally hooked on this mystery creature this monster that had come out of the wilderness there um but the conditions were very difficult i mean it was easy to see how something could live out there undetected by the modern world because the forest on the edges of those mountains in Labrador it was so thick. It was like a jungle. It was impossible to see more than three or four feet in any direction. It was really easy to get turned around, really easy to poke an eye out on a spruce branch yeah. or to trip and fall or impale yourself on some dead uh, tree stumps. Um, just like a, a thicket of alder bushes and balsam fir, very, very difficult uh, conditions. And then the black flies, whenever it would warm up, it was either freezing cold <laughs> or the temperature would get above freezing and then there would just be massive clouds of black flies and mosquitoes everywhere. So conditions could be difficult, but I was really motivated. So that yeah. kept me going no matter what the conditions were. Yeah. Well, can you talk a little bit about um, like the idea of wandering versus like exploring with a purpose and intent? Because you've done both. Um, so can you kind of like give me both sides there. Like when you're just wandering around the wilderness, that kind of has its own special place, but then doing something like this, where you're like exploring and you have an, you have a task, you have a goal. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, I do both and I love both. So I couldn't really do without one or the other. Yeah. And uh, well, I guess expeditions are my day job. So if I have an expedition I have to do for the Royal Canadian Geographical Society, then that's kind of like my actual job. And I have some objective, you know, go search for ruins of this fur trade post from 200 years ago, or try to find any clues to this explorer's disappearance, or try to solve this mystery of some strange animal that nobody could identify that came out of the woods here. Um, so then I have like a very set objective 
and you know, I have my maps and I'm like, okay, this is the area I've got to get to. It's going to take this long to get there. And I have to this much time to complete it. And I have to require, I have to acquire photographs and video footage and take records of all the flora and the fauna and any of the tracks I find. Um, so that's great because it's nice to have like an objective and have a yeah. sense of, we have a mission and we have to complete our mission and then we can file a report at the end and feel good that we accomplished it. But there's also something definitely to be said for just going out in the wilderness for its own sake and having no other reason for going other than just simply uh, embrace the solitude and the wild and the raw sense of nature. Uh, and I love doing that as well. And that's, that's sort of what I do in my spare time. Um, if I'm on a vacation or something, then it's like, okay, I'm just packing my backpack in my canoe and I'm going out into the wilderness for no real set reason other than that. I love it. And I want to yeah. have no, no planned itinerary, no planned route and simply wander um, wherever my heart takes me and wherever I feel like going. Anything that looks interesting, I'm going to head that way. And if I change my mind, it doesn't matter. I'll go the other way. Um, so just sort of wandering in the wilderness is definitely a very rewarding experience. Um, I think it's something everyone should try to experience at least once, just kind of going out there for the sheer, uh, sheer joy of it, you know, just yeah. getting off the beaten track and doing those stuff. So I do both, um, depending on the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, so when you get done with an expedition, one, first of all, I love that because you're right. Like both of them have so many wandering and exploring. They both bring so many different like aspects to a person's life so many things to enjoy you know like there is something about going out there with a task and then either completing the task or failing at the task but it, finding a like being like oh i failed at it but now it sent me on this different path like i just think that's really really cool yeah absolutely and half the time when you're just out in the wilderness um you end up finding something you never you never anticipated so some yeah. of the coolest expeditions i've done um, it was kind of like accidental discoveries. Like once I was canoeing in the Western Arctic and we came, my partner and I on this expedition, uh, I actually went with an American friend of mine. We ended up finding these caves that we had no idea were there and were totally unexpected. We were looking for artifacts from a lost explorer, but we ended up finding these caves carved into this old limestone. And we just sort of did a side expedition that was totally unplanned, unanticipated to go into these caves where we found a lot of marine fossils. Um, so that was just totally, uh, not planned at all, but in a way, I think throughout history, some of the best, uh, or the biggest discoveries have been accidental things that yeah. weren't anticipated and <laughs> they just have a way of happening. Yeah. Well, so then you get done with an expedition and I was just curious, like in what ways for you, when you finish one of these big, big adventures, uh, in what ways is it fulfilling or, or is it empty or is it kind of a blend of the two? Like, how does that feel? Well, it, uh, it feels fulfilling in the sense that you accomplished your objective yeah. and, um, it's, you know, mission accomplished. That feels nice. Um, but I never really want to rest on my laurels and say, <laughs> okay, we're done. No, I always hit the ground running and yeah. it's not uncommon where I literally go straight from one adventure to another one or a new journey <laughs> yeah. and i barely unpack my bags like i just kind of ch change out a new fresh pair of socks and it's like okay i'm ready to go grab a few more uh food rations mac and cheese and i'm gonna set out again so yeah. it's kind of this strange paradox where it's like the more i more adventures or journeys i do the more i just want to keep doing them so it's never it's never like finished it's never done yeah. It just keeps fueling my desire to keep going out there, which I think is a good thing because that's the same sort of uh, wide-eyed wanderlust I had as a small boy in the woods around my house. It was just seemed like this world brimming with possibilities and adventures and I wanted to experience them. And, you know, 30 plus years later, I still feel like that. So it's like the passion has never really dried up. And if anything, it's just getting stronger. And I think that's part of the, you know, the end of each expedition is it breeds the new one, uh, yeah. which I like. Yeah. yeah. And you get this really unique uh, reflection piece almost on some of the expeditions uh, where you're writing a book or you did the film, you know, and that does, I just am curious, like, do, does that make it live with you in a different way than the ones where you're, you're not writing a book or, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do a heck of a lot of expeditions, dozens yeah. of them, and I've only written four books, one of which isn't isn't actually about any of my expeditions, so only really three. 
yeah. um, about expeditions. And that's a whole separate process. And sometimes I feel like the writing of the book is more daunting Dude. than the actual expedition because it's like, <laughs> oh man, how do I actually take this journey in the wilderness and turn it into something that someone's going to actually want to read yeah, and yeah. make exciting for them? So I usually have to rack my brain for quite a bit because I always keep a detailed journal yeah. on my expeditions and I write it in my, in my tent every night and take as many notes as I can uh, about everything out there. And I have my little GoPro video clips, which I can use as well, but it's still a challenge of, you know, how do you organize this and arrange it all in a book that's going to be exciting and that people are going to want to read and, and keep them engaged and hooked. And that usually takes some, some, some brainstorming. I have to rack my brain, you know, how to make it as exciting as I can. So with, tra uh, with uh, the whisper on the night wind, I wove in a lot of the historical reports I was using to make it a sort of mystery, like a whodunit. Yeah, yeah. Um, how do we, how do we unravel this mystery? And I put a lot of attention to detail on describing the landscape or the tracks or the sounds in the night and turn it into a sort of spooky, but fun adventure. Yeah. And I try to put a lot of humor in as well. I want people to laugh yeah. As they read my books. So there's lots of um, funny moments as well in these books. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, I'm going to release this. This is going to be our Halloween episode, Adam. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm putting it out this Friday before Halloween. Awesome. Um, and I did want to ask you mentioned like cryptids and stuff like that. And obviously that's kind of something as you're exploring like unknown creatures or, or, you know, as you're exploring this question, I have to ask, and I, I don't think I've asked about actual Bigfoot ever on this podcast, which hmm. is weird because it's called like a Bigfoot. And yes, and I will say I've had a couple emails from like publicists who are like, hey, you, sh you should interview this guy about looking for a Bigfoot. And I'm like, I don't I don't think they've listened to my podcast, you know? Um, <laughs> and I've always joked with my friends. I'm like, should I just bring him on and talk about like camping or whatever? Um, but I do want to know this man, like what is like, what has made Bigfoot or these mysterious creatures? Like they've definitely like gotten into like pop culture. Like, what do you think it is about just the idea of these creatures roaming the woods that is so fascinating to people? Yeah, it does seem like Bigfoot or Sasquatch has really um, captivated imaginations and is just growing more and more um, in pop culture. And I think part of that speaks to a deep human yearning we all have um, to believe that there are still mysteries out there, that there are yeah. still truly unexplored regions of our world where anything is possible. Um, so I think it, it speaks to that urge that we have. And I think as more and more people become cut off from the wild because they live in, you know, big urban centers um, and their life is spent more and more indoors or through screens uh, that, that feeling inside of us only gets stronger. They get back to this primordial sense of, of wilderness and the unknown. Um, and I think that if people read the book, the whisper on the night wind, that's a theme that's very potent and that I speak to throughout the book, but I break away from sort of the more familiar Sasquatch Bigfoot and I take them down Yes. A totally different path oh, leading yeah. to something new and exciting and unknown. So I hope that they'll still get that, that, that sense and that, um, that love of mystery that comes out of these things in, in this book. Oh, for sure, man. And I did want to ask about just like the Canadian legend. And that's one thing I really, I really thought was super entertaining about the book is talking about like the actual like historical like legendary stories and when did people start talking about these things and why do you think they could, they could have been talking about these things? You know what I mean? Um, and you mentioned the legendary Canadian Wendigo. Um, and do you just want to explain that a little bit? Like, I just thought, I thought the history behind that whole thing was at, like, honestly, the creepiest part of the whole entire book. <laughs> oh, wow. That's good. Yeah. I talk about Wendigos. Um, which is a monster in Northern Canadian folklore that has deep roots that go back many, many centuries. Um, I, I talk about that, that monster, that legend in almost all my books in some way or another, it works in because it, it is something that is very deep rooted in the Canadian wilderness. Yeah. And it's hard to spend any significant amount of time in Canada's wilderness and not be familiar with these legends because they're omnipresent. 
um, it's kind of like the Salem witch trials in early American history. We didn't have Salem witch trials. We had Windigo trials. <laughs> and there literally were Windigo trials in Canada right up until the early 20th century. People Which would is be, wild. Yeah. But the Windigo was a, a demon or said to be a demon that or sp- evil spirit demon, you know, uh, terminology differs. But an evil spirit will say that lived in the heart of the northern wilderness that could possess a human being and turn them into a cannibal. And there are many, many hundreds of, a, of a well-attested cases in the historical record in, of Canada of people actually turning into cannibals yeah. and literally eating other people. Uh, Which that, a lot of times is the harshness of the Canadian wilderness, right? Exactly, yeah. I mean, a skeptic would say, yeah, that's, that, sure, that happened, but there's no evil spirit involved. They're just starving, and they're doing what starving people would do in that situation. They're getting yeah. desperate, and they're hunting each other and killing them. But um, b- maybe because it was a a grim fact of life in a very cold, harsh environment, with not a whole lot of food resources, especially during a, a harsh winter, right? Um, a hunter's luck might run out or trapper's luck might run out and you'd be tep- tempted to do some pretty desperate things. This legend may have evolved as a way against that as a taboo, right? If you eat mm. human flesh, then you're no longer human. You've become a monster. Um, you've degenerated into this Wendigo thing, which is not unlike traditional werewolf legends from Europe, right? or vampire legends, all of them have a certain cannibalism aspect to them. And therefore, if you turned into a Wendigo, you could be put to death without mercy, because uh, if they didn't do that, you would degenerate and eventually transform into something beyond recognition, into an actual monster um, with, you know, red eyes and lipless mouth, and uh, you would smell of death and decay, and your flesh would turn um, rotten. So you would, you would be this sort of living corpse thing roaming the wilderness and hunting human beings and there are many of those legends all across canada's wilderness and i get into them yeah um, into the book the whisper on the night wind in depth and try to explain some of them and also how they relate to this particular mystery i was investigating oh dude so cool man well adam thank you for coming on dude i will talk your ear off whenever you want i am down (laughs) <laughs> so, oh my yeah. pleasure i'll have to have some more adventures and more books so i can come back on yes oh my gosh that'd be awesome man uh do you want to kind of like tell people like where can they get the book where can they find out more about you all that stuff sure so you can get my book uh the whisper on the night wind anywhere books are sold amazon barnes and noble uh bookstores should have it and uh it's available in all formats so you can get it in hardcover ebook or an audiobook uh, that you can listen to if you prefer. And if I you enjoyed know- the audio book. I'm going to be honest. And it's yeah, funny well, talking to you now. Cause I'm like, I just listened to him read a whole book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I read my own book. So it is my voice yeah. uh, in the audio, or you can read, if you want the hardcover, you can get the actual paper copy of it. Um, and it's on sale right now for a limited time. So if you get it now, you get 25% off, I believe on Amazon and some of the other big retailers. And if people want to see more about my expeditions and adventures and my books, they can find me on Instagram, Facebook, or just my website. And it's my name, adamschultz.com. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate it, dude. I, I am in on listening to any of your uh, expeditions in the future, dude. Oh, my up, pleasure. I hope to be back. Keep up the amazing, we, uh, amazing work. It's been awesome. I'll try my best. <laughs> All righty, that wraps up this week's episode of the show. Thank you so much, Adam, for coming on, sharing your uh, kind of wisdom that you've gained from just being in the wilderness and taking on these adventures and quests and sharing your perspectives with us, um, not only about the most recent expedition that he wrote about, which is the one to Labrador, which, by the way, read the book like it's awesome it's great to read right now you know i listened to it i did audiobook while i was on morning runs in the dark in the brisk with like animal eyes looking at me that added to the atmosphere i'm not gonna lie it was really fun to be like um you know shining my headlamp which i have a really crappy headlamp turns out this is just an update from a few weeks ago i don't think my headlamp's good guys (laughs) It's just not. But anyways, it was like my fading headlamp just reflects on animal eyes in the woods. And then I'm listening to Adam's voice kind of describe uh, what this town, like their descriptions from this town from, you know, 
hundred a hundred years ago and is it was awesome it was a cool way to experience the book um but beyond just just hearing about that expedition like just hearing about what you gain from going out deep deep into the wilderness away from civilization what that's bringing to a person's life like adam like what he finds from that i just really loved the whole conversation the whole idea of um wandering versus like the intentional exploration uh the ideas of the little moments um and the only reason i brought that up is because you know having i've never gone on any expedition the same way adam goes on expeditions you know like i've never been out that deep as deep into the wilderness as he has and and all of that but i've planned adventures before um and whenever I think back, like obviously you remember the times you got stuck in a rainstorm or a lightning storm or the times you were on a scary cliff or, you know, it got cold really fast and you were like mildly unprepared, like the whole misadventure thing. Like you remember those, obviously they stand out. Um, but I think what keeps drawing you back is those little moments of complete peace or complete freedom where you just feel so in tune with the world around you um and they're hard to describe and i thought he did an amazing job describing those little moments that you find joy in that keep bringing you back time and time again um so i loved that man i am having adventure envy and uh adam adam's book did not help that <laughs> that would be my review i'm like if you have adventure envy you're gonna have even more adventure envy after this book because it's gonna want to make you get out into the wilderness to go explore um which i think is great and i think that's just kind of like this cool byproduct of what he's doing and what he's putting out there and the way he tells his stories um there aren't many you know, there, there, how am I going to say this? There's so many, uh, different adventure documentaries out there to choose from that. There aren't very many that I've sat down and watched two times, uh, because I found so enjoyable or I've watched multiple times. Um, alone across the Arctic is a documentary I've watched multiple times because I just, the way it draws you in, in Adam's film, uh, the way it draws you in, and puts you in the shoes of the expedition is something it's hard to explain but by the end of that movie you just feel like you're there and it's just showing these moments from this expedition that were meaningful for various reasons um and it does to a certain extent like it does capture those little things too like he obviously shows you really tough canoe uh portages and and dragging his boat across these like bogs and getting attacked by bugs and all of that. Um, but it does show you these little moments of peace or just like a 30, 30 second or 10 second clip of, of a moose just wandering across the lake. And you're like, whoa, like in that moment, he was the only person there. He was the only person experiencing that. Um, and that is something that just like, it just makes me want to have more of of those experiences which is really really cool so um so yeah support the guy he's an adventurer he's a true adventurer out there um taking on these really fun explorations so uh you can go to his website adamschultz.com i'll link everything in the show notes he has four books and i like i said i read his first one and i've read his most recent one and my dad read the History of Canada one. And I think it's cool too. Um, let me just add this really quick. I do think it's cool how each book kind of has a different feel. Um, you know, the first one I read, uh, Alone Against the North, kind of has this feel of this first time like big expedition just going out there and experiencing it. Um, History of Canada and 10 Maps is a historical book uh is a canadian history um told through these 10 maps which is really really cool and then like i said and like adam mentioned in the episode the newest one the whisper on the night wind has this kind of dark uh mystery and and horror 
like gothic horror kind of feel as these two guys head out into into the deep wilderness in northeastern Canada to to search for this creature. So uh, I just thought it was an appropriate episode to put on Halloween week, uh, but check out the book for sure. So anyways, uh, that's it for the week. I hope you guys are out there. Hope you're adventuring. Hope you're appreciating the brisk fall weather and the leaves and the awesomeness of this time of year. So we'll get back at you next week.